Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you're a guest of ours, we are especially glad you're here. Trex, are the lights all the way on? All the lights on? I feel like I'm in the shadows. There you go. That's a little better. Thank you. I need all the help I can get up here. I don't want to glare anybody to death, but uh, glad that you're here today. We are in our series talking about family, and we are taking a couple weeks out of this series to talk specifically about marriage. And I mentioned last week that nobody really wants to talk about marriage, but that we really need to talk a little bit about marriage. And if you remember, last week I posed a question that I think everybody at some time or another asks, and the question was, is it possible for two people to stay in love forever? Is it possible for two people, a husband and a wife, not just to stay together, not just to stay married, not just to stay in a relationship, not just to tough it out, but is it possible for a husband and wife to stay in love forever? And if you'll remember, last week I framed my lesson around the lyrics of an old country song. Remember that? It's a very touching song, very, uh, very sweet about a young couple who fall in love and get married and the song follows the arc of their marriage into old age. And I made the comment last week that those kind of lyrics are only found in old country songs. You don't get those kind of lyrics in hip-hop. Remember me saying that? Well, here's what I love about my job. I've got about 400 people who are more than happy to keep me in line. See, I think I stand up here and talk and nobody really pays attention. It happens that some of you actually pay attention because no sooner had I got home last Sunday than I got a message from IT Antigua. And it was a very encouraging message. You know, thanks for the, thanks for the sermon. But it included a YouTube clip, a link to a YouTube. So I want you to check out this hip-hop song. It was from an artist by the name of Andy Minio. I've never heard of him in my life. Maybe the world's greatest hip-hop artist for all I know. And he may be really famous. I've never heard of him. The song was called Love. He said, I want you to listen to it. So I listened to it, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to introduce today's lesson with the lyrics of Andy Minio's Love. Here's, here's, how, here's how he starts his song. Some of you will recognize this. Sorry to keep y'all waiting. Album was supposed to drop. I had a situation. Me and this fine thing started dating. I spit game, but I wasn't playing. I threw a ring on it, found love. Should have seen the celebration. 20K in savings. Yeah, that's some preparation. Suit was handmade, 5,001 flavors, which I don't know what that means. But I know what this means. Falling in love is easy. Building it takes patience. There you go. Falling in love is easy. Building it takes patience. It actually, it got a little better than that even. Here's another part of the song. I'm talking about the real stuff. That kind of make vulnerable and reveal stuff. That kind of dealing with your pastor get healed stuff. Fellas <laughs> say they're real tough. But nothing braver than love, love, love. <laughs> and you know, IT, you're right. Those lyrics do kind of make me want to cry. 
kind of tear up on that. And by the way, those of you who are heavy metal fans, polka fans, Irish, you know, folk song fans, don't send me any more YouTube clips, okay? <laughs> this is it for lyrics, at least for this sermon series. But I got to tell you, I'm kind of buying what Andy Minio's selling here. I'm talking about the real stuff. Fellas say they're real tough, but nothing braver than love, love, love. This morning, I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about the real stuff. I want to talk about real love today. The kind of love that God had in mind when he instituted this covenant of marriage. The kind of love that we all want, but that our culture says is very elusive. Now, we talked a little bit about that last week. We are wired in such a way. There's something in you, there's something in me that wants that kind of forever love that wants that kind of love that will last a lifetime, even though we know all the statistics. And even though we've seen you know, maybe past relationships of our own or our parents or friends, even though we know how difficult it is, and even though we know that in our culture it seems like it's, it's almost unattainable, there's something in us that wants that kind of love. And there's something in you and there's something in me that believes it's going to happen for us. We all sort of expect that we're going to find that kind of forever love that we've always dreamed about. So I want to follow up on some thoughts we started last week. Last week we talked about making love a verb. I want to build on that this morning. Open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a bunch of believers, a bunch of Christians who were living in Philippi, uh, Greeks, um, Philippians chapter 2, very famous section of Scripture. It's deep. It's got a lot of layers. Really smart people have kind of argued over the nuances of it for, for centuries. But there's some things in here that I think are, are pretty obvious and I think will be pretty helpful to us as well. Paul is going to give some instruction to these Christians in Philippi and to us as well. And Paul is actually giving some general instructions about relationships. But what I want to do this morning is take those general instructions that Paul is sharing and take a look at them through the lens of that one special person. Take what Paul is saying about all relationships that kind of focus through the lens of that, that special relationship between a husband and a wife. That relationship that some of you are dreaming about having one day. A relationship that some of you are in right now. The relationship that some of you might be trying to patch up or, or repair a little bit. I want to consider these verses in the context of marriage. Here's what Paul has to say. By the way, he's talking about the real stuff. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So if we're talking about this in the, in the context of marriage, Paul is saying do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And by the way, if it goes for all relationships, I'll argue that it especially goes for a marriage relationship. And that, that little phrase there, he talks about uh, selfish ambition, actually carries the implication of competitiveness. And Paul is saying, don't compete with each other. Don't be competitive with each other. In other words, when he's telling that story and he gets some of the details wrong, don't, don't correct them. Don't jump in. No, no, dear, it was blue, not red. No, there was four of us. 
no, not five. No, it wasn't there, it was here. No, you've got it wrong again. Don't compete with him. Don't compete with her. Don't always correct her. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And then he's going to give us the other side of that coin. He's going to give us the opposite. And it's the opposite that we kind of get hung up on. Because it's the opposite of this command that we sort of push back because we're not comfortable with it. It's the opposite that's a little bit risky. And it's the opposite that's a little bit scary because we don't really want to go first in this. We have trouble with it because we might get taken advantage of. But here's the heart of what Paul is going to talk about. It's really the heart of my lesson today, to be in love and to stay in love. Here, here's the real stuff. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Another version says, in humility, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. Literally, that means act like he is more important than you are. Act in a way that your wife will believe that she is more important than you think you are. Value the other person above yourself. Question, have you ever been in a place where you weren't the most important person there? Where there was somebody more important than you? And I'm not talking about, you know, some human beings are more important or have intrinsic value over others. Not that at all. That's not what I'm talking about. And I only got what Paul was talking about. I'm asking, have you ever been in a context where you weren't the most important person in the room? And by the way, you have. And I'll give you an example. You ever been to a wedding where you weren't the bride or groom? Did you ever notice how people stand in line to talk to them? Nobody stands in line to talk to you. Why? Because you're not the most important person in that room. People stand up when the bride walks in. Nobody notices when, when you walk in. Why? Because in that context, you're not the most important person in the room. Maybe you've been someplace where there's been a celebrity or a sports star or a, a book signing or something. In that context, you're not the most important person in the room. Now, when that happens, how do you act? How do you treat the person? You defer to them, right? Don't you? Don't you just kind of naturally defer to the most important person in the room? You don't interrupt them. You don't correct them on something they say. You don't criticize the way they look. You don't roll your eyes when they start to say something. You laugh at their jokes even though you've heard the joke before. You defer to them. Because in that moment, the key is respect. You respect them. I'm going to live my life like you are the most important person in this relationship. She's going to live her life like I'm the most important person in this relationship. Again, not talking about one person having more intrinsic value over another. Show them respect. Respect in what you say and the way you say it. Respect in what you don't say, the way you act. You treat them like they, in that moment, are more important than you. You consider them better than yourself. Paul says that's how you treat other people. I'm telling you, that's how you treat your spouse. 
You treat your spouse as if he or she is more important than you are. You respond as if you believe they're more important than you are. And you're thinking, wait, 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 wait. This is so, you've, 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 you've so oversimplified this. I mean, yeah, it makes for a great sermon. Sounds good. But if I do that, he's going to take advantage of me. He might. Wait, 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 wait. If I do that, it's never going to come back around to me. He's never going to do that for me. He might not. But this isn't about them. It's about you. It's about how you treat your spouse. It's about you seeing them, treating them, valuing them over yourself. By the way, I know you can do this. You know how I know you can do this? Because you used to do it. You used to do it all the time. Remember when you first started dating? Oh, it's her. She is great. I can't believe she's going out with me. I, I, all I think about is the conversation we had and the conversation I'm going to have. And, and how can I get her to go out with me again? Oh, he's perfect. I can't believe he asked me out. You know, all I'm focused on is how can I kind of build his ego and, and how can I make sure that, you know, that, that he'll ask me out again. See, that used to come naturally to you. People that stay in love, they just kept doing that. And the things that used to come naturally, now they're doing intentionally. They treat that person if they really are more important. And I'll tell you something that I told you last week. Now, last week we talked about mutual submission, and this today's a little bit of a cousin to that. When you see people who love that way, when you see people who really are doing what Paul said to do in Philippians, to treat the other with more respect, treat the other as if they're more important, that's the real stuff. And when you see that, you're going to say, that's what I want my marriage to look like. You might not know how they got there, but you're going to say, that's what I really want in my marriage. That's what makes it better. That's what makes it deeper. That's what makes it richer. Value him. Value her. Treat with value above yourself. But Paul goes on, he actually gets better. <laughs> Verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now in a marriage context, that would be not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of the other. Let me, some, let me give you some, some very deep insight. You know, sometimes you say, Tim, you're too simple, you're too shallow. It's just that I'm clear. That's why you say that. But let me, this is going to be deep. thought a lot about this, and you can, you can quote me on this. You might want to write it down. For the most part, you are interested in things that interest you. You can share that today if you want. For the most part, you are interested in things that interest you. And what that means is you will naturally gravitate toward things that interest you. And you'll naturally kind of shy away from things that you're not interested in. Now, if you have a husband and a wife, and I'm not interested in what she's interested, and she's not interested in anything that I'm interested in, sooner or later that's going to be a problem. We need to be interested in what our spouse is interested in. 
Last year, Martha and I sat on the couch and watched the University of Alabama play Clemson for the national championship. Pretty close game the whole way through. In the first half, Clemson ripped off this big game down, you know, down the sideline. Martha's sitting there. She went, Reggie Raglan, follow the pulling guard. My wife said that. I looked at Martha and I said, I love you. I mean, I love you. When you want to stay in love, you don't just tolerate what interests the other person. Now, if you don't know my wife, I've got to tell you what you're thinking is exactly opposite. I'm the one who had to get interested in Alabama football. She's always been interested in Alabama football. I'm the one who had to start pulling for the Crimson Tide. And you know what? It took me a while. But now I pull for the Tide. And she pulls for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it is a beautiful thing. And what that means is the best time of year for me and Martha is six days away. And next Saturday, we're going to be sitting on the couch together, all wrapped up in love, watching the Crimson Tide. Because we are... Roll Tide. Amen. Because we are interested in those same things. You want to stay in love? You do this. You live as if your spouse is more important to you. You become interested in things that they are interested in. And some of you probably are thinking right now, again, it sounds great, but in reality, it doesn't happen. If it were only that easy. If it were only that easy. And I think maybe Paul knows how skeptical we are. So Paul kind of says, okay, time out here. I, I put this out there. Now you're probably thinking, oh yeah, but it can't be that easy. So Paul says, let me take you back to Jesus. Let me prove to you that this kind of relationship not only is possible, but this kind of relationship is what real love looks like. Let me prove to you that this is what the real stuff looks like. Paul takes us back to Jesus. Verse 5, Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And again, he's using general relationships, but we're kind of using it to look at marriage relationships. In other words, I, I want you to approach your marriage relationship the way Jesus approached all relationships. There's a lot we can learn there. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, cannot consider equality with God something to be grasped. Another version says, do not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, this is really pretty significant. It's pretty important. Because we all come to relationships, especially marriage relationships, thinking, okay, I might not be all of this, but I'm a big part of this. You know, I'm at least 50% of this thing. Oh, I, I wouldn't say it, but I, you know, I'm more talented than she is. I wouldn't say it, but I'm smarter than he is. You know, I've got some rights here. There's some things that I kind of deserve out of this marriage, some things that I deserve out of this relationship. And Paul says, let me tell you about Jesus, who in every way was God, but never once used that card for his personal gain. He never once used the I'm God card for personal gain. 
You know, he never walked in with his guys and said, we want to sit in the best seats so you don't have to move because I'm Jesus, Son of God. He never did that. In his ministry, he, he never, with the Romans, with the religious leaders, he never played the I'm God card for personal gain. Never in his ministry did he ever leverage who he was for his own sake. But we're tempted to do it all the time. In a marriage, we do it all the time. Hey, you know, I make the most money in this marriage. Hey, I'm the one raising the kids. Hey, do you have any idea what I bring to the table? Do you have any idea how important I am to this marriage? We've all got these leverage points because of who we are and because of what we've done. Paul says, I want your attitude to be just like Jesus, who, by the way, was the most important person in the room. Every room, every room Jesus was in, he was the bride. He was the rock star. He was the hero. But he never once leveraged that for his own sake. That's the model that Paul's talking about. Then he goes on. Verse 7. But made himself nothing. You're familiar with the translation that says, but emptied himself. All the things that Jesus was. All the things that Jesus deserved. All the things that Jesus was owed. He emptied himself of all of those things. You know, we've got a saying in our culture, he is so full of himself. She is so full of herself. 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote, Jesus emptied himself of all those things that he deserved, of all those things that he was. He made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Why did Jesus do that? He didn't have to. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus made a decision. He humbled himself. Nobody humbled him. He made a decision to humble himself. He made a decision to place himself under. He made a decision to submit. And who did he humble himself to? He humbled himself to me. He humbled himself to you. He humbled himself by what? What did he do? By becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Let me sharpen this for you just, just a little bit. Jesus had a little bit of a dilemma. I'm not sure dilemma is the right word when you're talking about Jesus, but Jesus had a decision to make. Jesus knew, I can either maintain my rights, I can maintain getting my way, I can maintain getting the respect that I deserve, I can maintain control, I can maintain power, I can maintain being in charge, I can maintain everything that I deserve, and have no relationship with mankind, or I can step into their world, I can come not as God, but as man, I can humble myself, I can empty myself of all the things that I deserve, all the things that I am, and have a relationship with mankind. I can give my body to die a horrible, violent death for their sins so that they can have an opportunity to have a relationship with the Father, for a relationship with me, 
But I can't do both. I can't have it both ways. I've either got to empty myself to have a relationship or not. But I can't have it both ways. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, He put your needs far, far ahead of His rights. He put your forgiveness far ahead of His glory. He put your greatest need far ahead of what He deserved. He put you first. He put me first. He humbled Himself. He submitted. He chose relationship over respect. He chose relationship over getting His way. He chose relationship over all the glory that He deserved. He couldn't have it both ways. And you know what? Neither can you. In a marriage, you can't have it both ways. Now, I've seen people who have tried. You have too, no doubt. And what you end up with is not a spouse. You end up with a roommate, a contract. You might be right every single time. You might get your way every single time. But you won't be happy. And you won't be fulfilled. It's only when two people come together and say, I'm going to surrender my rights to you. I'm going to treat you as if you're the most important person in this relationship. I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to humble myself. That's the real stuff. And that's what God offers. And not only does God offer it, He sent Jesus to model it. And if it's true for relationships, it is more true for marriages. The key is the example of the kind of love that Jesus has for us. That's what it's going to take for you to stay in love forever. I don't think there's any other way. I don't think there's any other way than using Philippians 2 as part of our template. Is it hard? Of course it's hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it and you know, all marriages would be great. I know how hard it is. And I'm not minimizing that at all. It's the world I live in. You, know, you don't be in ministry for very long before you start to realize just how, how much of a crisis so many marriages are in. I get it. I know how hard it is. Are there sacrifices involved? Absolutely. But is it worth it? It is so worth it. It's a decision that you're going to have to make. And you're going to have to make that decision whether your partner does or not. Because it's not about them, it's about you. Are you going to be willing to love as a verb? Are you going to be willing to, to treat them as the most important person in the relationship? And are you going to be willing to empty yourself, to humble yourself for the sake of the relationship? Now next week, we're going to talk a little bit about feelings. And I really hope you come back next week to hear that. But for today, my challenge is, in your marriage, or the marriage that you're hoping for, the marriage you're trying to repair, would you follow what Paul is saying is the example of Jesus? By humbling yourself, by putting the other person first, and by loving the way Jesus loved. We've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. It's a